Awesome. Welcome back to another episode of Lounging in Lancaster. We have Matt Hales from Tate today. He's a senior project manager. Um, really excited. You know, Brian's been talking a lot about you. Um, that's, my and, that's my dude. Yeah. Well, and like your guys' company over there, like, is super cool to Lancaster. It's something that like is now world renowned that we can kind of be like, yeah, that's in my hometown. <laughs> <laughs> who, so, who knew that the backstage to the world was nestled in the middle of Amish country? So. Yeah, yeah, and that's, what, and that's what they call it too—the backstage of the, of the entertainment industry. Because I've heard that I've heard that term being thrown around. Several several times already. It used to be a, a little bit of a branding uh, idea, but right. I don't think we're running with that one too it's much stuck these a days. Bit <laughs> yeah, you've been there since the beginning, so like so early the, stages. I would say the beginning. beginning yeah, like I mean, you the, were on earlier the, than the now company. The company itself uh, started in seventy nine, I believe seventy eight, seventy nine. Okay. Um, was really small. Uh, the the history of kind of the story of like how all of this ended up settling here um uh, there was uh it was uh who was it it was the four seasons i think they were playing frankie uh, valley frankie valley yeah, yeah they were playing franklin marshall and they were they would come into town so i remember this story you yeah. you they'd play at any you know coliseum or like gymnasium whatever and they played here and then they went north to allentown and the next night like all of their wives were like the the audio was so much better at the at the last place like why <laughs> and they had used uh speakers from claire brothers and like at that point okay. the original like the claire brothers were building speakers like in their garage and you know, i think they had a small business or something but he um this was way before tate actually was founded here but they um they said, yeah, can we take these with us? And they were like, well, we've never tried putting them on wheels, but I don't see a reason we can't. And right. kind of right. concert touring audio was born, and then um, Claire is here, um, huge sound company, one of the largest sound companies in the world for touring and permanent installation. They've got multiple divisions. Um, Michael Tate was a... Was a uh, he was kind of like the fifth member of the band, yes. He was their lighting designer. Um, and he figured out really early on that a lighting company, which is what Tate was first started as, gotcha. um, he had these towers that he made, these like self-erecting, you know, you crank it up. It had, you know, eight or nine uh, park hands up top that you could swap the gels out to change different colors and do different things. This is way before everything's all automated. <laughs> right. And they were called Tate Towers because you could roll them off the truck and stand them up and elevate them up and they were all preset and you could crank them down and swap out all the colors and crank them back up and, and do whatever. And, um, but then you realize really quickly that, you know, lighting company is a fast race to the bottom for the low cost provider and it wasn't a great way to make money, but nobody was making stages. Uh, so oh, his, his story, so he they thought for the, he thought the next step ahead, yeah. like, all right, well, and yeah, so he, the, he, uh, the, the history that I've always been told, right. was like, um, they were sitting in the rehearsal room one time and they were all rehearsing and he basically had like a the lid to the garbage can he threw it in the middle of the table and was like when we're here in the studio you guys are all playing and looking at each other and then when we go out onto the stage you're all standing in a line facing forward and you guys aren't like feeding off each other the same way why don't we make a round stage and put it right in the middle of the arena and then you guys can all focus on each other and 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 then let's take the stage and make it rotate so everybody gets uh, the same uh, sh the same show, 
And the promoters loved it because they got to sell 25% more tickets because now you can sell it in the round. And then all of a sudden, everybody started coming out of the woodwork. Yeah, I want one of those. I need one of those. I need one of those. Jump in there real quick. Uh, Did you see the set design for Kanye's St. Pablo tour? Where he had that floating stage? Mm -hmm. Because I was at that show in Houston. And that was was so cool because it was like... I showed up a little bit late, and I'm in the back, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm a couple rows back. Next thing you know, you're front row. Now you're underneath of him. Like, <laughs> that was just, like, a cool design, too. It so creates a different experience. Kind of similar to, to what you were saying with, like, the round. Yeah. That was floating. Concert touring has turned into immersion, right? It's about an experience. You're not – it's the days of, like, going and sitting to just sit and watch somebody row perform six, has kind of – you know, there are a few few artists who still do it, but, you know, people are looking for some flash and some spectacle. And so I think that's one of the things that's like uh, kind of the saving grace of the live entertainment industry, right, is people want to go be immersed in an experience. And then and that that's how you relate with other people, right? You're there and you're having this collective experience watching the show. Right. And so, um, you know, entertainment's not going anywhere. We've got... We've got our troubles right now, right? Right. Like, might be, all festivals might are be at a little bit of a standstill at the moment, but it's it's definitely not going away. Yeah, I mean, look, the the reality is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Those are the three oldest professions in the world, as far as I know. <laughs> maybe, maybe entertainment as opposed to calling it just rock and roll. But right, right. They aren't going anywhere. They're going to come back online, and when they come back online, it's, it's you know, the entertainment industry, there's no doubt in my mind it's coming back. It's just a matter. It's a waiting game of how long yeah i've seen a lot of djs try to do like the online (laughs) festival has that gotten decent viewership can they sell ads like is that anything that's possibly in the world wheelhouse i mean you know what i mean like because yeah i mean there's not really a pivot point live streaming thing i think has really taken off um over the last few months and i know they're trying to really you know reinvent themselves and be innovative in that whole realm um i saw something as far as like i know a lot of people down in miami and and one of the things that I saw right in the center of of a condo community, they'll put a DJ and everybody just came out on their on their balconies. Did you yeah, see yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, there's people pivoting all over the place trying to do different stuff to, to have different socially distanced concerts and events and things, that, you know, um, which is great. It's awesome to see the creativity and the innovation and having people continuing to strive to do something. But the reality you know is it sustainable it costs that much more to put on a production to build go build that many platforms and separate people out the way that they need to be or you know whatever so you know unfortunately depending on whose numbers you're looking at right now in the u.s at least right some people are claiming the entertainment industry and that includes ushers and you know concession people at the stadiums and right. if you if you lump security all of that too. security if you lump all of that together they account for half of the unemployment population in the United States right now you know if oh. if 24 million people in the yeah. US are unemployed 12 million of those people had jobs in March the entertainment industry is a huge right. huge industry man and it's it's affected in in every way possible i mean you think think of all the festivals think of all the Concert venues, ticket sales. Think of Mad- Madison Square Garden times <laughs> thousands. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's just one venue that everybody's familiar with. I mean, these these places 
and spectrums are all over the world. You know what I mean? It's festivals as well. Yeah, I mean, and look what, I mean, you, you see the repercussions of it happening locally all the time, right? Like oh, yeah. Chameleon just closed down or... After is, however many is, years... Is moving? Know. I think they're moving. I don't think they're done. I haven't... Right. I don't really know. Yeah, they are moving from... from I, I don't know if they disclosed their new location yet, but I know that they closed down due to a lot of the things that are happening right now. Yeah. So... Luckily, I think they were being smart about, you know, reinventing themselves a little bit, not completely shutting the doors, but temporarily. Just like you said, I mean, the industry is not going to go anywhere. Yeah. It, it is a waiting it's, game for I mean, a lot of people. I mean, it's happened over and over again, you know, and this is all just my personal perception of, of things, right? But, like, you know, when MP3s came out, everybody panicked and was like, oh, the music industry is going to die. And oh, it's yeah. like, oh, no, yeah. actually what happened was artists needed to tour in order to make money so, so they had to reinvent so themselves a little bit they had to reinvent yeah they're not making the same amount of money that they were off of record sales or cds or downloads or whatever you really want to make some money you got to go on the road and perform and yeah. so they're out there performing and we're there ready to like right. merchandise supply is, them is with whatever thing. they need to go make it happen yeah what brought you into that industry i've been doing uh entertainment forever man uh I stepped on stage the first time in second grade. Okay. I played a bird in the, uh, <laughs> in my, I, I went to, uh, I, I grew up in Washington state in the middle of nowhere on the remnants of a hippie commune that my dad started back in the seventies. And, uh, so I went to like a two room schoolhouse, kindergarten through sixth grade split into two rooms. It was like little house on the prairie in the eighties with a lot more weed. That's awesome. That is amazing. Um, yeah, but I was like on the stage. I remember I, you know, I made my own mask, and I had like one line that I still remember to this day. It was like, "I know where some nuts and berries are." And then, <laughs> but you know, I got off the stage, and I was like, "Wait a minute, I can." If I get on the stage, like people have to listen to me. This is fantastic. <laughs> no and longer I, getting ignored. Yeah, and, I like this. And I was sold, and I. Um, going going through high school and college um i was that kid in the summers instead of going to football camp like everybody else i was going to theater camp and then i became a counselor at that theater camp that i grew up going to um went to undergrad out in washington and got a degree in theater through the radio and television department at eastern washington university and then uh i went to carnegie mellon and got a master's degree in production technology management which is a really fancy way of saying technical theater, right? Like a lot of people go to school for seven years. They're called doctors, but (laughs) we, I took that leap and, uh, unbeknownst to me, apparently my whole family was in the background, like terrified that what the hell is he doing? Like, this is insane. He's He's going to have, how, you know, he's going to have $85,000 of debt that you're going to pay off by being a starving artist. That doesn't, (laughs) this doesn't equate. This doesn't add up. But yeah, I used to be, I was a performer. I was a painter. I was a rigger. I I did, we, in our, in my undergrad, like we made, um, we coined our own term theatricians, right? It was, It was a really tiny, tiny little program and everybody did everything. So, and that's actually, I think, just a really unique kind of um, environment that happens in theater in general, right? Like everybody is just gung-ho and ready to go make stuff happen, whatever, whatever it takes, the show must go on, right? And a million other cliches. But um, 
Like and everybody one, sees the show, but they don't really know yeah. what's going on behind the scenes. So when you mention positions like painter, you know, rigger, and, and things like that, yeah, you this do it is all. A, this is all the stuff, and then you perform it. That's what I used to do, and so yeah. that. But then I like it was it was pretty crazy. My senior year in college, right? Like I was, um, we were doing a production of Cyrano de Bergerac, and like I played Cyrano, and I was the head rigger, and I was running the shop because we only had like you know. 20 people in our department so like everybody had to do everything you just had to that, that that's was... so cool though because you have like almost autonomy for your vision of it mm -hmm. like you get to design the set you get to design everything that goes into what somebody just viewed right it and then versus just being like plugged in place and your life. while that was happening i remember um we did a show we did camelot again my senior year in conjunction with the music department and i I hate musicals. I'm like the only theater yeah. kid in the world who just despises musicals. My <laughs> willing suspension, my willing suspension of disbelief is just—it's there. But like, all right, everybody's really going to break into song at the exact same moment, and we're going <laughs> to go, have this moment. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I played King Pelinor, so I uh, okay. I had this. I had this. It was great. I had this like little. Uh, you can buy them online. It's like a uh, leash with no dog on it. So it's got a metal oh, rod in it, so it looks like I had Speaking a dog. Right. And I had this, I had this whole routine like out on the stage where it was like going over and sniffing up girls' skirts and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember in the middle of that show, like during the set change at, at intermission, um, it was this huge crash from backstage and stuff was stuff was going wrong, and I, my brain immediately went to like, how can I help? How can I fix this? And I had the first line of the second act, and I was left my my buddy out there totally by himself mm -hmm. and he like improv a little bit and he's like damn it Pelly, you can't leave just because you're losing <laughs> crickets crickets <Yeah>. crickets <laughs> and fi finally i like got it all to go oh, shit i'm supposed to be out there so i like rolled out on stage and <laughs> after that show like i had lots of people come like man it was amazing you like, totally stole the show comedic relief whatever and i was like yeah but but what about what it looked like right, right? and yeah. so i got i got really inspired like performing wasn't really that scary to me but building stuff and like putting all your energy and heart and soul into Seeing building something together, yeah. right and and the visuals and like the immersion of the aesthetic and all of the things then it was like that's what actually terrified me and so i made this conscious decision that that's where i need to be that's what i should be focusing on because you know, when you're more uncomfortable, that's when real learning's happening, right? That's when real growth is actually taking place. And so I got... I love that. So I just dove headfirst into building scenery, doing anything that I could backstage. And so that's... I ended up at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh after three-year pro, master's program there. Um, I came out to... I was driving, I was moving stuff from a warehouse, uh, from one warehouse to another warehouse for the school. I worked for the school. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of our, um, one of the shop guys there, he was like, he wasn't even a professor. He was like a faculty member that made sure we had all the stuff we needed. And he right. taught welding class and all this other stuff. He was like, what are you doing when you leave? And I was like, I have no idea, man. I've been in school for like 20 years straight. I literally, <laughs> like, I literally went kindergarten through high school went straight into undergrad and in order to graduate on time from undergrad because of a bunch of classes I didn't do that I was supposed to do mm -hmm. I ended up having to do summer school after everybody else had already graduated I ended up doing a computer literacy course and a full year of Spanish condensed down into like 
uh, a few six weeks. Yeah, wow. six yeah. weeks, eight yeah. weeks. Right. And so Those I, summer courses are tricky. <clears throat> so I finally got my degree, <laughs> and then five days later, I was starting school in Pittsburgh. So I like literally had no time off, and then not a single break. And then went through grad school, and he was like, "Well, do you want to work in entertainment?" I was like, "Yeah, do you want to work in rock and roll?" He said, "Sure, I guess." And he he said, "Well, there's this company called called Tate Towers." Um, we have an alumni there. I think he's even doing pretty well for himself. His, his name's Adam Davis. He's like, um, he's our chief creative officer, and he's one of the owners. And he was a Carnegie Mellon alumni. And okay. Great guy, by the way. I was, I was the first person that he, he had been out here, for, I think, for about seven or eight years. And I was the first person he had convinced to come out here from... From right. Carnegie Mellon, wow. and now we just have like this well, you pipeline must have had a wealth going. of talent to work with at Carnegie Mellon too. Yeah, I had a good buddy of mine, uh, he, huge guy. Um, his name's Donovan as well, um, who's an opera singer. But you'd look at this guy, you would have no idea that he's an <laughs> opera singer. Like, you know, he's probably about my height, probably two. 60 to 270. I mean, he's much bigger than I am. Yeah, yeah. Black guy, bald, and he can belt opera, man. Right? He is super <laughs> talented. He now lives in Austria and, like, works in, like, an opera house over there. Wow. Which, like, world-class talent comes yeah. to Carnegie. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a great program. It's a great school. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't be where I am if I hadn't gone through that, mm-hmm. that path. Um, and then... Entertainment's basically just given me everything, right? Like, I came out here, immediately started working at Tate. Back then, Tate was maybe 40 full-time employees. Um, In 2009, we did um, the Black Eyed Peas, and I I flew out to Vegas to go to rehearsals, and uh, the production coordinator from that show sent me an email. She was like... Hey, my name's Rachel. Like, I'm supposed to be booking your flights and all this stuff. And I sent her back an email. I was like, Hey, I'm really sorry. You know, I'm really sorry. I'm gonna apologize up front. I'm going to be the biggest pain in your ass for as long as you know me. Like, we're <laughs> late. We're gonna be. You're gonna have to rebook my guys' travel. Like, we're gonna be <laughs> changing stuff constantly right up right. to the last minute. Had never met her before, <clears throat> and then I went out there and I was sitting in the production office the first day and this hippie chick walks in with a headband and her glasses on she's got this big flowing skirt on and I was just floored like oh. I think I want to know who this is and now I'm married to her and, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> she's, she's amazing she's we've been amazing. we've been bouncing around the world for the last 10 years and wow. yeah. multiple countries multiple homes and now we just had our third kid about a month ago and That's amazing. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah, Congratulations. thanks. Awesome. It's crazy how stuff changes, right? Like, I mean, I was 29. I'll be 40 in October. And uh, I think I was 29 when we met. And at that point, man, if you would ask me, I was like, I'm never getting married, never having kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I work in the entertainment industry. I'm on the road all the time. I don't there's, have time for that. There's yeah. no way. Like, it's just, and it's not even in, like, eh, I don't even, not even, even not even thinking about it. And, so is that fairly normal for Tate to send you guys out? Or is that only just for like their first show? Because yeah, what you guys are designing is the whole it, venue per se, or at least it, pieces of it. That... Yeah, it can change. I mean, typically a, a typical show, we we design and manufacture everything here uh, in Lidditz, and then 
we send people out to the first rehearsals because stuff changes right up to the opening night, right? right? And then sometimes we have stragglers who go along with the show for the first week or two. Um, every once in a while, somebody will go the whole time, depending on a, if there needs to be like a specialized skill set or something. But for the most part, it's there's a whole. Um, <clears throat> There's a whole army of freelancers, right, who are the roadies that are touring and putting everything together and running it on a day-to-day operation. And usually we have them come in and we teach them, you know, they're a part of the the process of how we're building things and how do you want this thing to work over here. And um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's the end user needs to be satisfied and they're the ones who actually have to touch the gear every single day, tear it down, put it away. The way it's right. packaged, the way Packaging. it's labeled. Yeah. It's almost like connects, you know, like in a way. Do you know what I mean? We're going to teach you how to put this part to this part and yeah, build it's, it from the ground up. I mean, it's it's insane. I, I know from working on the fabric side and talking to some of, the, some of the roadies, like the amount of people that work on one project is absolutely insane. And, and the amount of work that goes into that and the knowledge that you have to have from, like you said, there's carpenters, there's riggers, there's painters, there's the... 40 truck drivers sometimes in one shot and it's just like holy crap yeah this many people are involved in one yeah lights well and well and then encompassing and with technology being so invasive in our lives right like it's um everything has changed everything's evolved like what roadies were doing 10 years ago is totally different to what roadies are doing now right? yeah, like not the, just the, carrying speakers yeah like the, just say that. yeah like the baseline <laughs> the, the fundamental been okay like it's mostly like if you were in the industry as a roadie 10 years ago do you have the aptitude to still do that job now or like they kind of learned I mean, it along the way because they had I mean, to I, was, I think in was general it fast was it like a boom this is like as oh, much as technology changes, man, you yeah. have to kind of like roll with the times. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, look, the reality is, I think it's a group. It's probably one of the most malleable groups of people yeah. that I've ever experienced in yeah. the world. Right? Like they'll, they can, you can turn anything into anything else. And there's a willingness and a drive to just go make it happen. You said that before about show business, like the cliche, like the show must go on, but like. You're you're kind of right there. Yeah, it'll it ha- make it happen. You know, it has to. And yeah. you know, in our in our world, it's not uh, if something's going to go wrong; it's when. And then how quickly you can respond and help recover from that moment is where your true value comes into comes into play. Cool. Wow. So who who does most of the design work for a lot of this? Is it like the artist comes in and you guys have like a like a conversation? He gives you like I want to do a tour and I want it this way. It depends. There's typically a there's typically a designer that's involved. That's a freelance position as well that is hired by the production to come in and actually do the overall you know the all encompassing production design. Okay. Um, then there's separate lighting designers and video content people and you know the the army that it takes to actually go do all that stuff is is. Um, pretty ridiculous it's pretty extensive yeah. and mm-hmm. and everybody's been learning and changing like you're saying is it is it easy to, to adapt Have people like was did it just happen overnight but i think one of the things that's kind of unique in our world is we're constantly creating and innovating all the time like on the fly from day one of the concept of a show to what it actually turns into by the opening night um they might be two totally different things and the with the age of acceleration that we live in right now, right? Like the, 
your normal role, what you may have been doing five years ago or 10 years ago, that job doesn't even exist anymore, but it has evolved into something else. Oh, yeah, 100%. We were talking about that before. I mean, it's just like the, the whole evolution of everything. You know what I mean? One thing stops and then something else is reborn. And having to evolve and change to be able to transition into that, you know what I mean, is what's most important, you know? And at the end of the day, it's all about the audience's perception of the show. Right, like there's a thing with like we always say you're only as good as your last show. Nobody gives a shit what you did mm-hmm. five months ago, right. two, two years ago, five years. Well, I did this one tour back, and like it doesn't matter, man. It, it's whatever Instagram shot was up on the highlights. You know, it's what was up there yesterday. And now the that evolution has been really strange too, because people you want it to be this big immersive experience that everybody like really leans into and like settles in and and. Um, at the same time, there's this, no, you, you need that one shot. You need that perfect Instagram framed out moment, right? And they'll spend exorbitant amounts of money to make just that shot happen. Wow. And kind of everything else that happens in the, in that night is... Uh, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's kind of... A, it's, it's not irrelevant, right? Like, none of it's irrelevant. But, like, <clears throat> that shot is is the shot and that's what people are going to remember it for and then when you start touring it around the world it also gets different when you're going to different regions who have different resources and have you know different skill sets um sometimes they don't they can't afford to take all of the gear that we send so they'll send just a portion of things right and then there are people getting kind of an abridged version of the show and you'll see it instantly wow like on the on social media like what happened to this moment in the show that I've been watching on YouTube like in every other city I was waiting to see this moment and then that moment never happened like was it the same show did I see a different show like what's going on and people people really catch that yeah oh they'll catch it man and uh, well I guess if you're like dedicated I mean, enough to watch every single thing it's a major production right you know what I mean something that's that big people are gonna catch it you know what I mean yeah. it's not like oh shoot he didn't wear his tie or he didn't wear his watch you know what I mean when you have something that's so huge and that massive and you have that many people watching it at the same time, somebody's going to catch it. Yeah. 100%. Did you see Childish Cambinos at uh, <clears throat> Joshua Tree? Have you heard about that experience? Yeah, yeah. Where he had the app and everything. That was such a cool way of, like, kind of releasing that. And then everyone in the crowd uh, was texted, like, a, like a color. Yeah. So, like, if you were given purple, you had to show up in purple. And this is where your seat was. So he had everybody in the crowd all together. As a part of the landscape. As a part of the landscape. Yeah. And then when they filmed it, they released it with, like, when you bought the record, you were given, like, 3D goggles. And you were at the at the show then. And you could turn with, like, the, the glasses on. And, like, you could see almost, like, everything that was going on at that show. Yeah. It's Which crazy. Is a, <laughs> Yeah, that had to be ridiculous. I mean, that, in terms of that's the other part, right? Is like with technology continuing to change and and evolve at such a rapid pace now, right? You have augmented reality and virtual reality and all of these different things influencing what you're capable of doing at each production, like for any given production. Um, you know, you you go to a concert right now and you watch everybody watch a show through their iPhone yeah. rather than mm-hmm. watching the show that's happening right in front of yeah, them. You look, yeah, you look into the crowd and that's all you see. All you, you see, see is screens. You see people recording it, but yeah. then, you know, at the same time, some shows are actually taking it a step further now and they're streaming augmented reality things at the same time so that if you're actually watching it through a screen, they can be manipulating content real time mm-hmm. 
as to what you're what you're experiencing right <laughs> so like there's there's um that's really cool there's have a ton of opportunity a- to to just go do whatever you yeah. want. Have you ever been in a show where like the artist yells at people for having their phones out? <laughs> that yeah. happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was at... Stop living through your phone and experience life. Like, yeah. uh, it's not, I mean, as an artist, I can I can kind of see that being a little frustrating. Because it's stopped like, in the middle of Yeah, because it's like, you go, like, you can watch this later. I'm sure it's being documented by the cameras that are on the stage. And if you really want to see it through a screen that badly, go on YouTube or, or you know, I'm sure you'll be able to find but, it somewhere. That's got to be weird you're here for the now, be, It's almost like, like the consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Being, being mentally elevated and just being present, right? Which I totally agree with. But the the addiction, right? The, the addiction. The digital addiction of no, no, no. I, there, there's something about it that, like, no, I recorded this. I recorded it. I was it. there. I, need to I was post a part it. of it. My so, name like, needs to be attached to that yeah. video. I have to show it to whomever it's a because it's not. There's not much validity if you get it from somebody else, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's like, oh, my boy was at the concert. You have no, you have like, like a page and you can see it. You have a much more intrinsic pride to something like, no, I filmed that. I took that picture as opposed to. Well, no, this is this is a picture that I was I was literally standing next to the person that took this picture, but you weren't the one that took that picture, and so it has a different um, like you relate to it differently. It messes with your psyche a little. Yeah, it's the same thing like when you post something on social media, right? Like the the there's this whole like theory of digital addiction that like when you hit send, right? It's not um waiting for that little red dot to pop up on your phone right like what's happening in your brain at that moment your serotonin levels and your dopamine levels and everything is changing and triggering because you're see you're waiting to see if anybody actually just looked at what i put up right. it doesn't matter what they say it doesn't matter if they like it if they didn't like it as long as it was viewed it it was viewed right right and so and every time that little that little light pops up or your phone vibrates and the haptic goes off right like that's a, that's a little drip. Yeah, that's a fair. little drip. It's yeah, a sensation for your for your your you validity know. In, a, in a way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it, it fulfills you for for just that brief second. For a half a second. For a half a second. <laughs> like oh, liked, viewed, liked, viewed, and it's like, dude, I'm blowing up. Doing Check. great. I broke the internet. <laughs> I'm gonna go viral. I'm doing great. It's three o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. I haven't gotten a like in about an hour. It's time to go to bed. Yeah. yeah. Until the next one. Until the next one. And you're constantly you chasing that fix. Mm-hmm. It's because it's a fix. That's that's really yeah. Digital digital addiction is is now actually like a. It's a you need it's therapy. A, it's like yeah. It's a it's a coined. <laughs> it's a medical condition. Like yeah. it's a diagnosable medical condition. It's pretty crazy. That and like that didn't exist twenty years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. what's that what's that going to mean for our industry and for everybody's industry? Like even even what you guys are doing with clothes and with um, hospitality, like all of it because you you have to change with it absolutely yeah i mean i think clothing industry is looking at the apps that's like snap a photo it measured your body yeah sort of technology you know like we're not that far off from that being the same with carpentry as well you Mm -hmm. know i mean i did carpentry for for several years and there's so many different apps now that like you know, tape measures are not even going to be a thing anymore because you yeah. got these apps now. And they're just like, just go. Just a few like, reference oh, points. I don't and know how to read a tape measure. Yeah. People are saying, I'm just like, I just download the a app. Few, a few reference points and volumetrically, it tells you everything that's going on. And you're right. like, oh, okay. And all of a sudden, you have the blueprint PDF on your on your phone. You don't understand it at all, but you just hand it over to somebody. It's like, I, I got these. 
Well, then the really funny side of it to me is like there's all the, you know, you got all these people putting together like, well, hey, I, you know, I, I did the research and I've put all these Pinterest pages together like this is what I want it to look like. And then they go to do it and it just it turns into an absolute disaster, yeah. right? Like there, there's a whole <laughs> industry of people that are now thriving in this world of like what I thought it was going to look like and how it actually turned out. And then right. like now, OK, how do we fix it? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so being being with uh, you, say you you and Rachel were together for you know ten years doing the work together, and you guys traveled everywhere, correct? Mm -hmm. What are some of the places that you guys actually visited as as a unit, and also how how difficult or how easy was it to actually be a couple in this industry and having to do the kind of work and the amount of work that you guys had to do? I know that had to be super we, um, challenging. We spent the first probably two years in a in like a long distance relationship she was out on the road and she was touring and she was going all over the world right and and I was you know living here in Lancaster working at Tate and you know I would go on the road every once in a while but I wasn't a roadie like I've never been a roadie I always joke I'm a stationary roadie because I see all the roadies I see all those same faces and all the same people that cycle through every single time right but they're usually coming here and I'm not you know, I'll go out on the road to get shows going and I'll go out if something's gone wrong. Um, but I remember Rachel was living in LA uh, and she was touring with the Peas and she got off the road with the Peas and then she wasn't <clears throat> super stoked on, she got a couple jobs out there that she wasn't really excited about. And I called her and I said, hey, so I've been given this opportunity. I'm going to get to move to Belgium for two years. Do you want to go with me? I found out later when she tells her narrative of our story and I overhear it to other people, <laughs> she says, and when somebody asks you if you want to move to a foreign country, you say yes. And I'm like, wait a minute. So this had nothing to do with me. It was just the fact that I asked you to move to a foreign <laughs> country. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, anybody, what the heck? <laughs> you know, she wasn't, she wasn't super stoked on the job that she had at the time to the point that the HR the lady that ran the HR from uh, the company she was working for came in and asked her one day, said, you're not really happy with, with your role here, are you? And she's like, what are you, what are you talking about? And she was like, well, you just applied for your own job on monster.com or like on something. Like she applied, she was oh trying God. to find a different oh. gig and she actually applied for the job that she already had because they were trying to fill more of more that roles. same role. Oh and they were like, so you're clearly not very satisfied and she was like yeah if I'm being totally honest it's, it's not really for me but right. I asked her if she wanted to come and she said sure um, so she packed everything up in her in her car and drove across the country and uh, we had never at that point we had been together for about two years but we had never spent more than ten linear days in the same place together ever <laughs> that's how and long so, distance it was and yeah, so yeah. it was like it was like whoa why don't we try living together for the summer before we moved to a foreign country together. Right. And uh, she packed up all her stuff, drove across the country, moved into my apartment down on Queen Street, uh, right there at the square. Oh, okay. We nice. lived on 20 North Queen, like right above Shab's Shoes and the, the skate shop. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. How long were you there? Uh, I was there for about three years. Oh, okay. And what year is this? Uh, that would have been 2000. We met in 2009, so this would have been late 2010, 2011. Yeah. I moved. Okay. I moved. Uh, we had like the 11, 11, 11 party. Um, gotcha. Yep. That was my going away party. Got a little, <laughs> got a little carried away. <laughs> I think Rachel actually put me 
to bed that night. It was over at yeah. a friend's house, and they yeah. put me to bed in some guest room. And she came and woke me up at eleven eleven that night, and was like, "Matt, you gotta get up. It's time." And I was like, "Eleven eleven eleven." <laughs> <laughs> but um, when she moved out to to come to come stay with me for you know a, a few months before we moved. Um, she was looking around to try to find another gig. I immediately I left and went on the road for uh, I was working on Batman Live, like a arena touring production of Batman that was rehearsing over in the UK. So I was like, all right, welcome. Here's the apartment. I'm gonna be gone for three weeks. So <laughs> I'll see you when I get back. And she came over and she hung out for a little bit over there at rehearsals, and then she came back to the apartment and. Um, by the time I got home from that rehearsal, she had picked up a gig with Leonard Skinnerd as like a weekend warrior production coordinator. So she wow. was gone on the weekends. And so every time I, for that whole summer, every time I was home, she was gone. She would leave so our gone. stuff cohabitated oh for gosh. like three months. And then we were like, we're sticking with the plan. We're doing right. this. And we moved to Belgium. Having well, summer was fun. Summer was fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Barely saw you. <laughs> we, we, we moved to Belgium having never spent more than 10 days in a row in the same place. and right. um, But it worked out really well for us, actually, because I think if she had just moved here, like, and I had friends and I had a business, like, I had a job and a career and all this stuff that I was doing, and I think that there would have ended up eventually being some weird kind of deep-seated resentment. Like, I gave up all this stuff and I moved to Amish country right. to come right. be with you. And instead... She got here. She went and did something of her own for like three months. And then we packed up and we went to a foreign country where neither one of us really knew anybody. I mean, I had a job over there. There was there was an office. Mm-hmm. So we had a little bit of a support system that was that was inherent. Right. And but for the most part, you're getting an adventure. Yeah. And we got like to you're in a brand new adventure. That That's really cool. So, so we got yeah. to make a life together. Right, and we course. were there for about a little over two years. And then when we came back, it was the you know, it was a pretty easy decision. Like, let's just move back to Lidditz. I still have my job with Tate. So, you know, yes, I have friends there. We have a support system, but we came back as, as an us, as like mm-hmm. a we, and we had a life together at that point. It wasn't somebody Spirits was moving here to come be with me. It was right. like, we just moved here, um, having built a life together for a couple years, which was pretty awesome. And then she stood like, it was probably a year after we got back was, right of around when we got back is when all the Rock Lidditz, uh stuff started to blow up wow. and they put the studio up and all the things and so now she's the client community development manager for the campus up there so awesome yeah there's so many people that still don't know everything that the campus does Man, I, would argue, do so I would argue much. the majority of people don't yeah. because yeah. you know people locally everybody gets really confused everybody's it's like a, oh you were to tape so you're part of claire and i'm like that's not right yeah you hear that we, all the time we all have common clients but we are all individual companies organizations when you companies. walk through two them. totally different businesses as well and claire, Even claire, claire through, and tate yeah. a lot of people confuse those two i mean it, like a lot of people don't understand yeah. one is audio one does you know well i mean stage development and if like i don't i don't know the numbers you know my, my she she'd probably be pretty mad at me if i get the number wrong but um <laughs> You know, on the Rocklidditz campus, there's, you know, there's 30 plus live event production companies of some scale of some skill set that are that's here. And, you know, it was it's always been this this kind of entertainment cluster, but it's just exponentially grown. Right. Because now yes. if you if you want 
the best stuff, you come here and yeah. and you have all of the best companies that have now kind of migrated it's like a, here. It's like a trade show for artists. M- migrated you know here I mean? to be a it's part like of it. It's like if I go out to every year our big convention is in Las Vegas and I can walk all around and I can talk to different suppliers and meet this person that has a factory and meet this person. It's kind of what it is almost at Rock Lit. It's for the performance industry because you've got all those different companies Every and then you've got yeah. the music stuff, the yeah. lighting company, the, the digital graphic company. Like You have well, a lot of those. In I there. always joke with Rachel and give her a hard time about it, but it's it's really interesting what they've done with Rock Lit. It's in my opinion, right, is they've stumbled on this kind of concierge service but they don't really have a product <laughs> right they don't right. they don't sell a tangible thing that right. you can walk out with right they sell a, a a place and an environment to come do your rehearsals and provide you with contacts to all these different organizations in any way to help solve problems vendors client relations all the stuff yeah. but they don't actually you know, it's like Airbnb owns more beds and mattresses than any, uh, ha- has access to more beds and mattresses than like the top five hotel companies combined, but they don't actually own a single one. Right. 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 Like, so there's a, I don't know, I always fall back to that. It's like so this little nuance like a, of. They're like a commercial real estate agent almost. But it's, way, I mean, like, for, the, for the space, yes, years. but then there's also like fostering a culture and a community of creativity and innovation where you're going to bring people together yeah. and support them in a way that isn't happening anywhere else in the world. Turning, a vision, turning a vision into a reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like... And, and people love it, right? Because when they come the here to do it, crazy. when you bring a pop star to Lidditz, Pennsylvania, they don't have the flashy lights and all of their famous friends mm-hmm. to go get distracted by. So, like, you're in the you're in the middle of nowhere. Take like it's time to work. Yeah. You're going to work. Yeah. It's, we're going to shut it down. We're going to close the doors. We're not going to let people in. And we're going to work. And we're going to make this amazing production. And, and they talk. probably enjoy it, like, especially some that are on, like, the upper levels or, like, the mid-level of fame. Like, they probably like the fact that they're out here and, like, if they ran to, like, Country Kitchen and, like, got breakfast, they might not be annoyed. That nobody would know. No, like, like, they might not know yeah, who they, they are. They go into like, the country covered. And yeah. They can do that. Like, no, nobody recognizes me. This is great. This is yeah. fantastic. <laughs> I'm not you go to Shady bothered. Maple and, like, really have no one know who you are. <laughs> right. Right. I think they'll know who I am. I'm there, I'm there every year for my birthday. So. <laughs> like, they're like, this guy never misses a year. <laughs> You get a free dinner in case anybody doesn't know that. So you've obviously <laughs> well-traveled. Um, where's been your favorite place that you've either worked or stayed or, or been to? Um, Before jumping into that, how, like in Belgium, you stayed in Belgium only for the two years? Yeah, we were there for... Was that more like contract? It was like two, two years, years and that's two it. years, three months. My initial contract was a two-year period, and then at the end of it, I had just redone an, an, a year-long extension, and then we, through a series of acquisitions, we bought another comp- another company, and um, we the decision was made to close down what we were doing in Belgium because we were going to be doing the same thing out of the UK, and rather than spread oh, yourselves okay. thin like that, right, we were consolidating assets and consolidating mm-hmm. resources and people. What was and your so, What was your daily job like when you were in Belgium? It was like a nine to five or like project based? Um. I don't think there's anything nine to five about our industry ever. 
it, but it was absolutely uh, there was definitely a little bit of a difference over there, right? Like they're on a thirty-eight hour work week and not a forty-hour work week. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was I was watching your guys some of your previous podcasts, uh, and you guys were talking about um, the coffee culture and whatnot, right? And I loved, you know, it made me think of when I was in Belgium, right? Like. That it's just such a different approach. Everything's a little bit slower. Like living over there definitely made me reevaluate the speed at which you live life and how you're like, what you're stressed out about and why you're stressed out about things. And I remember like Rachel and I laugh all the time for the first, we lived in Bruges. So I don't know if you're familiar with Bruges, but basically it's like the quintessential medieval village, like city that people would think of in, in your mind. Um, mm -hmm. But we were walking around it. It took two months. She couldn't find a to-go coffee cup anywhere. Like we went into, we'd go into a place and be like, do you have to-go mugs? And they would bring out like, you know, a normal handled mug and they're like, like this? And we're like, no, but like, but to take it with you. And they're like, but why would you take it with you? <laughs> it, was like, why, it was a foreign concept. Why like, would you take I have an open seat right there. Yeah, why, why would you take table. it with you? There's a table. There's a bench. It's going to be more comfortable than Sit walking. down and enjoy <laughs> your coffee. And actually, if you're going to have a coffee, why don't you have a beer? And then if you're going to have a beer, stay for another coffee. It's right. fine. Like, <laughs> Did you do the warm beer over there? No, they were... Was that just Germany? Uh, Belgium was pretty... Belgium actually have all the... All the um, the beer houses and stuff have like the the spritzer on the the cask on the yeah yeah but you you like the big wash the glass right where you press it down it, it actually shoots the the properly poured one according to at least <laughs> what people were telling me right if you actually rinse your cup or your glass and every beer has its own glass a lot of people don't realize that over right. there like every single Every single village has their own version of a beer, right? And every single beer has its own glass that is a different shape that's supposed to let it breathe differently, exactly. to let it taste what? different, and, and like let it be different. Glasses, English pints, um, the snifters. So like a Duval glass yeah, and Duvals. a Stella glass and a and a Peroni and a Le well glass and a Chimay glass. All of those have a different glass, and they're all actually. The, there's actually a, a, a logic and a rhyme and a reason to the yeah, shape. Yeah, it's kind of bullshit that we don't do that. <laughs> I don't get the same experience over here. What the hell? <laughs> now I'm mad. <laughs> For you, when they, they would like rinse it with super cold water and they would tell you, like, if you were served a beer properly, it was in its glass. I mean, like, you didn't get a beer that wasn't in the corresponding glass. And if you did, it was like very... Oh. Yeah, like how could you give me? This? How could you give me this? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but they rinse, they rinse the glass, <laughs> like and then when they words. <laughs> and then when they when they pour it, they actually pour with a significantly more head on it than we pour our beers here, and they don't fill it all the way up to the absolute top because we don't right. have to be gluttonous people that yeah. just consume just as like much volume pour as beer possible. Out and keep tapping it. Oh my god, I can't get rid of this head. It's like <clears throat> at least one inch for the aromatics. Right. And if right. you're doing, if you're poured the proper beer at the right temperature with the right temperature glass. You can actually watch. There's a ring on the glass after each drink, and you can mm -hmm. and you can watch them go down. Well, that's what we're saying. Like Guinness, you're supposed to have seven, right? Right. Seven gulps. <laughs> is that right, or is that just is that just some Irish Something stuff? Something like that. No, I, 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 <laughs> is that just because they drink more than we drink, and we drink a lot? <laughs> no, 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 no. I had a friend from Galway um, in Ireland. And he would he would tell me that he was like, I always counted how many rings you know were in my glass, and that would determine how many beers I would have in the evening, and I would turn this into like a whole math equation. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I'm like, all right. And when he broke it down Ooh. to me, it was just there was a science behind it, which which I thought was amazing. And when he mentioned how many lines he would actually count, which was like some somewhere around you know 48 to 56 or something like that, I, I'm just like I couldn't fathom drinking that many Guinness. I would lose. <laughs> I would lose track. Yeah, and then I, I, and I would get funny. to like 14 or like or I get to 21 and right. be like, wait. What yeah. number am I at? Yeah. <laughs> Duval. Do you know Duval? The, I do not there's know. A, there's a Belgian uh, beer, Duval. It's right. one of my favorite ones from over there. You can get it here. It's kind of hard to find. But, I did. Uh, I did hear it. It's, um, it's pretty funny when you're in a bar over there and you get a Duval, the bartender, it's the only beer you can order where the bartender comes up and puts the bottle of Duval in the glass right next to you and they don't pour it for you. And uh, we found out later it's because Duval is literally the translation, right? Is is the devil, um, and they came up with this name because they were having this like the, the guy like made this batch of beer the very first time and invited all of the people over and they were partying and everybody just got destroyed. It's super high alcohol content, like eight and a half percent or something. And everybody woke up in the morning and he was like, "Yeah, let's go." And they were like, "No, that stuff's the devil." And yeah. so they uh, called it Duval. But and you, when you're served one properly, they. Um, they just put the glass and the bottle up on the bar and give it to you. And if you ask, like, hey, aren't you going to pour that? They say, no, you, you pour the devil for yourself. <laughs> gotcha. That is yeah, so that's unique. pretty cool. That's so unique. Well, going back to his question, I guess, like, um, so what, what is, like, one of, one of the most interesting places that you say you've traveled to, yeah, like, visited I'm, or lived in? Um, you know, my, buddy li- my buddy lived in Sweden, and he was saying that, like, to get anywhere, and especially being in Belgium, you could be just about anywhere in an hour and a half to two hours. Yeah, I mean, Belgium is super close to everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so and, that's why I wanted and, to know what your nine to five was and, like because you probably saw a lot of Europe. <laughs> um, the majority of Europe that I saw was actually still just touring and going and doing shows for for the company. Okay. Um, I did spend. Sweden is awesome. Sweden's one of my favorite. Like the Scandinavian countries are are incredible. Um, I spent. I uh, spent about six weeks in Malmo uh, working on the Eurovision Song Contest in 2013. That Eurovision! Was, that was pretty awesome. That's cool. Um, Eurovision is such an interesting thing. I was, I was, and it's coming to the States. <laughs> no, they, I heard they just put it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Donovan, I'm going to send you but. links later, and you're going to thank me. Yeah. Mark my words right now. I'm going to send you links, and you're going to lose it. I swear, I think... It's um, last week. I'll post them on the social. Promise media me that, that you will. <laughs> that way, everybody's watching. I'm gonna be honest with you. Last week, I, I, I laid in bed, and this isn't. I can't believe I'm admitting this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Eurovision like live sets for about three hours because I couldn't look away. I yeah. couldn't stop, and I kept asking myself, "I'm like, people aren't doing this for real. Like, these guys aren't serious, but they are dead serious. No, they're dead serious, and it is. It's these. <laughs> You it's can't the, like you can't determine whether this is real or it's not. But then the more you watch it, you see how passionate they are, and they're like they're not kidding. But then at first you're like, no, they're messing around. Like they're not they're not really like this is not really how they perform. No, it's crazy. It's uh, it's nuts. and people take it crazy serious. It's, Super um, serious. It's like it's it's almost like the World Cup. It's like our country's gonna be on Eurovision. Yeah. And then whoever wins the Eurovision is the next year the Eurovision is in that country. They oh. host they host the next one. So interesting. Yeah. Like oh, that could oh, that oh. could be like a whole hour long podcast of its oh. own. Of its own. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh did oh. Rick and Morty do like the spoof like the spoof on that? 
Possibly, with, but where they had like the they had the competition <laughs> and like the, the the floating heads, <laughs> and they had to come up with the best song. Oh my god, it's similar. It's I think similar. there was a Rick and Morty episode. Yeah. that's kind of similar. I'm, go- I'm gonna I'll plug something right now, and um, hopefully you know Will Ferrell will appreciate this. But on Netflix right now, <laughs> there is a sh- like that. There's a movie. That's exactly what it is. It's. And it's, I haven't watched it yet, but it's pretty accurate. And they actually took a bunch of footage from a real Eurovision because you can actually see tape gear in the background in a couple of scenes. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's insane. Actually, so a lot of a lot of the actual. Don't be ashamed. I'm about to spend the rest of my night <laughs> oh, in bed God. listening and watching that. No, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> look up look up best performances of Eurovision 2017, It's absolutely amazing. You won't be able to look away. But oh um, a lot of the people that are on that show. Oh, or actually, it's a, it's a movie on Netflix. They were actual contestants that were on Eurovision mm-hmm. years prior. Like, famous people that were on that competition from years prior. I mean, they're all in the movie. Yeah. Just made, made like, a yeah, cameo. Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty great. Yeah. I don't, you know, you, like, where's the best place you've been? I don't really it's hard know. To say that because every, every place has a different... Yeah, you know, it's being, a different vibe. It's a different thing. I mean, one thing I will say... You a little bit from each. The majority, of, the majority of life out on the road like that, right? The inside of every hotel and the inside of every arena looks pretty much the same regardless <laughs> of where you're at. And there's right. not a ton of time where you're out just running around gotcha. and having fun. I mean, yeah, we work hard and we play hard. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of trouble that happens out on the road. Yeah. But at the same time, right, like... Um, I think it's more about just being there for different experiences. Like, I don't necessarily remember the places because of the country they were in or the thing that was, it it was more about the event that was happening, right? Like, I worked on the London 2012 Olympics. I did a bunch of stuff for that show. Like, we had had four different gags for the opening ceremonies. That was amazing. It was incredible. And it's like, and it's a moment in my life, all of it, you know, My full gosh. circle comes back to music because I can remember there's a there's a specific song by uh, Odyssey off of uh, People Hear What They See. Yes, that album. Yeah, there's a <clears throat> there's a track on that that I would listen to every single morning walking through the Olympic Village on my way to the stadium where we were doing all of our installations and stuff. And now to this day, every time I hear that song, that's it where, I, right that's that where I get flashed to. That's, right? a, that's the beauty of music. Yeah, I mean, that's... and I think I download a new album every time I travel. Yeah. yeah. Every time I travel, I'll throw on place. a... I'll, because now every time that I listen to it, like I get that, Sorry, that really feeling. And, that well, and then, you know... Like Snowfall and Stockholm. I'm not going to say... Like, it reminds me of a couple songs. Yeah. I'm like... And I'm not going to say I'm like a huge fan of every production that I've worked on, right? Because right. I've worked on productions where like, man, eh, the music's not really my thing. But at the same time, man, once you're there and you see, if you're doing a stadium show, right, and you see 100,000 people going ape shit over something that you helped create, it doesn't matter if you like that music or not. Like you're there absorbing the experience and, right. the, and like just the energy that comes out of that is, is, yeah, is it, and, energy and it's addicting. Because then that's what you're chasing, right? Like then, you, then you're constantly chasing like what, what's the next big show? What's the next big event that I'm going to be a part of? What's the next big thing that I can help bring people together, right? Like I went, I remember going through this kind of struggle at one point in my life. Where it was like, you know, what am I doing? Why am I? I should be doing something more, right? right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not a doctor. I think, I think I'm not a. I'm not. I'm not saving lives. I'm not run. doing this. But at the same time, like I. I I came to a really 
nice moment of of solace almost where it was like you know people will spend their last dollar on a ticket than rather than a loaf of bread because they want to be distracted by their problems and they want to be entertained and so being able to be a part of that creative process and actually not have any limitations on it right like what we pride ourselves on at tate is always we make the impossible possible like if everybody else has said no there's absolutely no way to do that then we're the first ones to raise our hands and go running straight in and go oh yeah we can we're doing it. not only can we we will and we'll do it faster and we'll do it this way and we'll do it this way (laughs) nice yeah well it's it's uh almost escapism Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's just like for that moment in time you provided them just like like almost a meaning and a purpose like the enjoyment of what they have like will last them the next week or month yeah or like the hope right how long that feeling lingers like and i'll I'll reference the kanye concert again right Right. because i took this really awesome moment from that show where you know the stage is floating right and it got to the one side and i'm way off to the side and i'm by myself and everybody else is like reaching for kanye right? right and he had this moment where like the stage like disengaged and i'm off to the side and i can see him like he's not looking at me he's looking forward and there's like the rigging's coming down the lights are changing the smoke's coming up and like watching him it was like seeing a little kid at play wow you know and here's this older like i don't know he's 36 37 and he is so visually engaged and just excited by like it felt like i was watching a creative genius watching his greatest performance happen in front of him and I that was intrinsic for me because I was watching him just enjoy that raw moment yeah. and I was just like oh and that's the kind of experiences God. that a lot of people take from these shows you know what I mean that was a personal experience that you took you know what I mean and hearing how passionate you are about it think of how many other people around the world they can go to any show like you said you might not be a fan of a certain production but to somebody else they would be so passionate about these you know these performers and they go home with the same feeling and to be a part of that yeah. and create that experience for somebody that that just that's, that's why big. festival culture is huge right now too like the the EDM stuff as well mm-hmm. like I mean that's yeah. just well, those 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 things have been around for for a long time I think it's more it's gotten more notoriety you know Public. notoriety yeah. here in the, here in the U S um, to be honest with you because I, I th- it's always been such a big thing well they finally Especially. brought Tomorrowland over here. <laughs> Tomorrowland being one of the biggest ones, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like where they have like their own, their own um, airline that takes them wow. into like Belgium and, and the camps that they have there, like tattoo artists, barbers. Yeah, That's you know, cool. and it's like it's four days. I mean, DJs from all over the world, and I did not know that Tomorrowland is actually in the U.S. now. They, I mean, they brought it over for the first time, probably five or six years ago Interesting. when we were, when I like when I was over there I was doing some stuff with t- the Tomorrowland group over there and then they were talking about how they were going to reuse the set from that one and bring it over here and set it up and wow. actually go do that the next year and they were going to start this process of hopscotching things around and, um, so Tate had a lot well, of involvement with, with some of the some of the festival stadium. festival scenes are a different a little bit of a different animal right the um the value that I think Tate adds to things really comes from operational efficiencies, right? And it's being able to do repetitive moves over and over and over and over again. So, you know, 
changing something so that it takes five minutes less because you're going to go do it 400 times a day for the next six months that's worth making the change and then that actually that's a value add that that is a premium that you're charging for right Right. that doesn't exist in a festival environment because it doesn't matter how quick it goes in right there's the set change has to happen fast but like they go they go build it in a stationary spot and they build the thing and they have a few days and they've got the time and then once the once the shows are all done and all the artists leave with their one truck or two truck of gear that they brought to that festival right Mm -hmm. then the rest of it comes down and so it's um not to say that we aren't there like we're absolutely involved in a you know pretty big part of it a lot of the a lot of the artists are bringing tape gear to the festivals as like their gag that I'm gonna, pour, I'm gonna pour you a quick glass of whiskey and then I want your top five uh, like sets that you worked on if you can think about that because we'll refill you quick alright what, what are you pouring here what, uh, let's talk about the one you poured previously no pour that one for sure but what was that the, the oh the JP one. Weisers yeah yeah this was given as a gift um, from a friend of mine Emmy um, she got it for me as an 18 year old uh, Canadian whiskey, Very nice. um, which I actually, I love it. Um, you know, I gifted her fiance with a custom suit for the wedding oh, wow. and she gifted me a nice, you know, nice bottle that I probably wouldn't buy myself. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. No, it's really great. And then I think all things like that are meant to be shared. Like anytime that you have like something tasty or good or, right. or meaningful, it's meant to be shared and. Yeah, provide. I was just curious about it because I, I, that one I definitely have not heard of. What are your thoughts on it? Because that, yeah, that was yeah, in your first class, too. No, it's great, man. It's yeah. very... It's very smooth. It's very smooth. Nice. We have to talk about resolutions as well for for everyone. Because that's, that's... I think with everything that's been going on, you know, in the world, in the, in the food and beverage industry, in the entertainment industry, how it's affected everybody... We don't really know what to expect, right? Yeah, it's like what's what's coming into the new year. It's a waiting game. It, is a, it is a waiting game nothing, for everybody. We were talking no about idea. that before. It's not like uh, it's just it's so wild, man. Because if somebody would tell you, like, hey, you got like we said outside, you know, you got six months and six months, just be prepared. You know, this is when it's all going to take off, and and that's when the end of the uh, you know the finish line for this entire thing is going to happen. Mentally prepare yourself. But that See, doesn't only, exist. Yeah. When I was saying that, like, you don't really have a pivot. Like, the restaurants, like, they have a a small pivot, and it's probably not, like, the greatest pivot, but, like, they're like, hey, we're going to do online ordering and takeout, and you see a couple places that, like, have been able to adapt. And, like, But for something huge like the entertainment industry, it's like the entertainment industry, and like we said... All the all the all the stuff and employees that go into it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The yeah, absolutely. Of people that, that are I mean, and it's not just concerts, right? It's TV production, it's movie production, it's all of it. And it's, it's got and a lasting effect in other industries too. Like, you're not buying microphones, yeah. you're not manufacturing aluminum, you're not manufacturing plastic. Like, there's wires. a whole lot like wires. Like, there's a whole other subsect of industries where it's like. You buy raw, ma- like or not? Yeah, specifically, but you might buy buying raw materials. <laughs> you know, so it's like, well, but those then raw it, materials but are then down it, too. But then it trickles through everything else because if if a road crew of 150 people decides not, to, well, can't doesn't come here to rehearse their show because 
they don't have a show to rehearse, right? That's another 150, uh, you know, 150 plus people that were going to be here infusing money into the community, yep. money into the, the local tourism, local mm-hmm. um, everything. It's, it's everywhere. Just, it's too, so interconnected. Then... It's like there's no real way to get away from it. Yeah. You're, so how you're buying you... less trucks. Right. You're not buying trucks now, so now a, a car manufacturer is down a couple even, sales. Even like down. you know what I mean? Like there, it's it's permeating kind of everywhere right now, yeah. which is. So where does that? I mean, which is too bad. I'm asking like, you, and I'm asking yeah. you. I mean, where does that? Where does that put you mentally and, and spiritually for the new year? So when you say like, there's a lot of people that have New Year's resolutions and they kind of want to progress into like the next stage of their life. But when the next stage is just a big fog of uncertainty, how do you how do you generate that energy into just the individual itself, and how do you stay motivated, and, and what do you look for into the new year as an individual, right? In a situation like you this. want to go first, or you want me to go first? Yeah. Um, I would say I'm just looking for consistency. You know, it's like even if I don't have like the greatest sales numbers. Like, I want to use this time to get very, very consistent in kind of everything that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So I want to take this time to really perfect the consistency. You know, like you, on not to reference other pods, but like when you look at the Waltz Vineyards or Mm -hmm. when you look at um, um, the whiskey guys from Hidden Stills, it's like they got very, very consistent at bringing the same level of intensity to their job. Right. So... If we're down a little bit in our day to day, well, I'm going to make sure that I'm redoing our processes to to get as consistent as possible. Well, and then it makes it that much easier for you to forecast what you really need to have your make or break point, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll you're kind of inwardly looking at your own process, your own organization, and your own things, right. um, which is kind of what like you have to do because if yeah. You, like for what I feel like right now is like if I try to reach into society for anything else, if I'm not stable, oh, it's you're gonna lose hands, you're gonna lose arms, you're gonna be losing limbs. Right. It's like get yourself together, figure yourself, like really get your feet up underneath of you. You've got a rare moment in time to make yourself as like center yourself, find that balance. foundation, like a foundationally consistent. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm spending a lot of time. I'm spending a lot of my personal time um, doing personal development right like I'm a big fan of lifelong learning and constantly striving to do more and better um I will say it's it's pretty awesome actually I'm leaning into it as this has been a fantastic experience of being able to be at home for five months when in the last 15 years I can't think of a time that I took more than probably 10 days off and even when you took those times off, right, you're still on your cell phone, you're still on your laptop, you're still on your computer, like you're still engaged. You didn't actually really you're disconnect. Yeah. The only times that I could say in that, like in the last probably seven or eight years that I've really fully disconnected to that level was my honeymoon and each, and the, you know, when my daughter was born. But then even with my second kid and my third kid, my, my two sons, like, that disconnection went away we like we already did it once we were like old hands at it so like all of a sudden we're at the hospital and i'm already getting emails like oh my son was born like two hours ago that's so awesome i need to send this email really fast (laughs) you know and that sucks because that's on you that's on you right that's your own Mm -hmm. level of of engagement so um you know you said resolutions i 
I uh, Rachel laughs at me, but I have the same resolution every year for, at New Year's, and it's just be better. Yes, because rather than rather than give myself some false hope of something like I'm gonna do this this year, like let's just holistically look at your like the whole existence. I'm just gonna be better. Yes, that's a beautiful way to put it. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, and because it doesn't. Uh, doesn't put too much pressure on yourself either. Yeah, yeah because if, like, if you set an ultimate goal that's, that's it's too high, you reach out and there, and it's like too realistic. Now your arms go on, and now yeah. you feel like you're like this. You're almost setting it's like... yourself up for disappointment, you know, yeah. like in a way. But be like, better. be be better is is just something that I feel like a lot of people should take from that. You know what I mean? And well, I mean, and it's and it's a totally it's a sliding every, it's every a sliding day. scale that you create, right? Like, what does be better mean? It, me being better means something completely different to what being you being better means right. for you, Absolutely. right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, just that that strive for more knowledge, for continued learning, for you know, I, I um, I want my kids to. I want to be a high performance parent. I don't want to just like sit and watch my kids' lives happen. I want to be engaged in. I want to be a part of it, and I right. want to. I want to bring the same level of attention and passion to that that I was bringing to, you know, to my career. Like, yeah. we joke around in the entertainment industry a lot. People always say it's not a lifestyle, it's a job. Like, <laughs> it's, and it, you know, there are people who would argue that when you go down that path, you're actually putting yourself in a really vulnerable spot to be taken advantage of because you're willing to go above and beyond and do things that you wouldn't typically do. Right. And without, you know, turning around and being like, hey, you need to pay me for that, yeah, right? right. Like, <laughs> you yeah, know, like they, they uh, um, extort your labor. That, that, that once, one right now, you know, yeah. once a favor, twice a gig, that's the other one that always happens out on the right. road. It's like, right. I'll do this for you once as a favor. And the, when you find yourself doing that job again, get ready, because now that means they're going to expect you to do it every single day. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, I love I love what you were saying about the be better. There's a guy that I listened to. Um, you ever heard of Jordan Peterson? Mm -hmm. He gives amazing motivational talks, and he's like, oh, the one thing, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, the one thing that I think people miss is that, like, like, if you find yourself struggling, he's like, aim lower. He goes, I know that might seem, like, counterproductive to, like, like, shoot for the star, like, shoot for the moon, you might land on the stars, you know what I mean? But it's like, you aim to be just slightly better than you were yesterday, yeah. and you're going to have a really easy time of meeting that. And then when you do that seven days in a row, you're three times better than what you were seven days ago, yep. which yep. makes your progress like it's it's an unfair distribution. Too. Yeah, it's not linear, right? It's, it's not an exponential linear. curve. Yeah, no, which sure. is awesome. The yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. aim lower. <laughs> it's when you. I don't know that it happens necessarily in like personal like one one person but in group dynamics right there's this assumption that um, people will rise to the occasion and the reality is people don't rise to the occasion the group as a whole defaults to the lowest common the, the lowest common denominator that is the shared general experience that everybody can actually achieve and do right and right it, it's actually really hard to get a group dynamic to go above and past that right yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right because the the cliche saying of that is like society walks at the pace of its slowest member. Yep. You know, so it's like it's the herd, it's that kind of herd mentality thing. 
and until I mean <clears throat> growing up on the remnants of a hippie commune right I won't go too deep into any of that but like the reality is right at least for me my reality right. is we don't none of us get there until we all get until there all, exactly. right and so the concept of be better the concept that of, of just decency and um, we were talking outside about perception like right. perception is a huge part of it for me and it's been a thing that I've kind of been chasing for the last couple of years if I ask you a question and get your opinion on it regardless of what the answer is if I agree with you or not is irrelevant it's your perception of reality and it's what you're experiencing right now and I have to be okay with that regardless of if I agree with you or not I don't have to be okay with it and agree with you and I don't have to like support what you're doing right. but I can't just fly off the handle and be like, ah, you're wrong. Like, right, yeah. Because you're not going to change their You're not going to change it. You're not going to yeah. change their that's perception affects, of that's it. That's what affects a lot of people. I mean, once you once you understand it, it is per, a perception, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, that everybody has, and you respect that that's what it is, you're able to understand and, and see things differently and just accept that that's what, that's what that is. That's what that person is presenting. That's just how they see it. Yeah. I think if I had one other one for a... Uh, like a, a goal, right? Especially right now, it would just be listen. Stop screaming into the void of whatever your opinion is, right? We need more listeners at the moment because right now everybody's just scrambling to get their opinion out there and the instant gratification that I put my opinion out into the world and now it's valid. And it's yeah. like we need more people that are actually really listening to what's being said because otherwise everybody's just waiting to take their turn to talk right and that doesn't do anybody any good yeah well and the education on listening you know like the repeating what the last person said right you know so it, it really forces <clears throat> you to not be in that position of waiting for your turn to talk mm -hmm. because you actually have to understand everything completely and almost summarize it back to them like so you just said and then here's how I believe in that. You know? <laughs> and if you like, have, like, if you can do that, then you have authentic communication, and you get real right. dialogue because you're not just missing that feedback loop. You know, like you're not getting that little static in the in the center of the right. the loop there. Yeah, <laughs> so real. Yeah, so awesome. Real. Well, hey man, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank I you. Appreciate you. I know we're running a little long on this yeah, one. Yeah, no, it's all good, man. But it snowballed so really many, well. And you gave us so much great stories and knowledge. knowledge <laughs> but there's so there's so many other topics, man, that, that we touched on that I feel, you know, I, I don't want to feel too rushed into it, but I also don't want to make it a really long podcast. But there's a lot of value in a lot of the things that we talked about today. And just so people understand, we had to cut it short for a reason. But at the end of the day, be better, seek knowledge, and listen is what I got from a lot of what we talked about, and there's we could we could honestly go on for a very very long time when it yeah. comes to like we've had conversations like that. You and I. I'll come back anytime. Things, so. Yeah, for some whiskey. Yeah. Well, no, and I love. It doesn't even have to be your, uh, you know, your your good gifts from others. I'll bring the I'll bring I'll bring the Japanese whiskey next. Oh time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he was for the listeners. We were talking about whiskey right before we got yeah, on. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely try that out. Definitely. Cool. Cheers Thank to you. that. Thank you. Hell yeah.